What does it mean to be happy? To be content in the world around you. Mom used to say it was family. That family is the heart of everything, even existence. Without it, there's nothing. She would always have these simple answers that somehow would sound so brilliant. And then she died. My father died along with her. Shortly after that, my brother David had to sell the farm where we grew up. Now we're just trying to be an ordinary family. Trying to figure out where we fit in, in the world. And for me, I'm trying to figure out where I belong right now in this exact moment. It's a movie called The Hamiltons. <laughs> movie called The Hamiltons. Nick chose it, and it's kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> but just you wait. Just you wait. They're actually vampires. <laughs> you need to add a little more rapping to that one, Nico. That's the thing. So there's a brother that fucks his sister and a <laughs> kid that doesn't like eating people. And I don't know. Uh... The Hamiltons! It's the spectacular. Yes. <laughs> Way to, like, spoil the whole fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. You kind of just really... Lin-Manuel's fault for fucking spoiling history. Oh, I see. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, right away, we find out Hamilton dies. It's like, can I see the duel first? I want to know how this plays out. That is a good Seriously, point. Seriously, right. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. a good point. That's yeah. a great That's point. point. I was trying to look up films that were... Pretty good, but also not mainstream. Things you wouldn't have heard of. Mm -hmm. And I think this fits that bill. Yeah, it's an indie. It's, an indie. it's a San Francisco shot indie. Very indie. Like, really indie, this movie. Right, which always makes it a little hard to make fun of, even though there's a lot of material there usually to mock. It's always like, oh, these guys are fucking nobodies. They made this movie on a shoestring budget, and they shot it at somebody's house or whatever. Basically, yeah. It won a couple of little awards at a couple film festivals. It played at the After Dark Horror Fest, which was a festival that started around 2005. This After Dark label is a sci-fi, the network, and Lionsgate kind of co-production. And they spotlight a lot of like these super independent midnight movies, essentially. Mm -hmm. And it's this thing that I think still goes on. I don't know what it's called now, but they would release these movies in like DVD collections under the After Dark label. And the most famous movie I think that ever came out of this was a movie that we just talked about in another podcast called Lake Mungo. Yeah. Came out of this after, which is another independent kind of a found footage mockumentary movie that, you know, uses its shoestring budget to its advantage and is like very lo-fi purposely kind of messy. Uh, this movie I think is aspiring for more than that, but it's the kind of movie that you definitely would have seen talked about on horror movie forums 
in the mid 2000s. Sure. You know, it was very yeah. of the internet and very like camcorder home video yeah. in that zeitgeist, right? Of a time for sure. And we're yes. well past it, but uh, it is interesting to kind of look back and check it out and see, you know, what was getting released and what was sort of like the norm for independent horror cinema. Cause now it looks very different. And also I also, I feel like what you're capable of with a shoestring budget is much different now. Oh, certainly. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you do have to judge it a little bit on a curve. Obviously you have to, you know, it's not exactly fair to, you know, treat this movie like it's, like Adam Wingard's like you're next, for example, like then that's viewed as an independent horror film. But even that is like sort of dwarfing this movie in terms of like ambition and budget and the actors that it's getting and all. Yeah, that. This is a backyard film. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's tremendous for that. Sure, sure. And you know, yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah, if Adam and I made it, I think we'd be impressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Um. Yeah, I, it's funny. It, it predates all those Mumblegore movies. And, you know, the, the Mumblegore movement, I mean, I can give or take a lot of those things, but those are examples of movies that do weaponize their independent nature to their advantage, mm-hmm. right? In the way that the Mumblecore movies also did, right? It's like the fact that this is shot on a camcorder and the lighting is weird and the editing doesn't always match is part of the appeal. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is aspiring to a very classical or maybe not, but like 80s tradition of like slasher movie. Mm -hmm. And so it sometimes like gets a little too big for his britches where it doesn't really embrace the fact that it's hyper independent. But again, it's a good swing and a miss, you know? It does feel like this movie actually suffered from like not enough budget. I mean, like I said, it doesn't really matter your budget if you know how to work with your constraints. That's really all it comes down to. You just have to be clever with what you're doing and like you have to be disciplined enough to say like we cannot do this we can't even attempt to go for this right now just because if we do it's actually going to make the movie look worse well it's also like you're not fooling anybody it's like everybody knows that you're making an indie and it's obvious to everyone apparently except for you because you're trying to get one over on us yeah the ideas in their head were bigger than the reality of what they should have been making totally absolutely absolutely but by the way nothing wrong with that that's what fuels most of john carpenter's career okay just a guy that had a thousand ideas working with a bunch of that could never support a lot of those ideas but look what we got sure but here's the key is that john carpenter's a great filmmaker (laughs) are you saying the butcher brothers are not a great film all right hey god a second this is uh yeah let's discuss this before we go any further (laughs) you can't call yourselves the butcher brothers you can't fucking do it. I'm sorry. You can't. It's like the Cohen brothers being like, we're not the Cohen brothers. We're the self-loathing Jew brothers. <laughs> yeah, it's like you can't like stake a claim on a genre and be like yeah. that. You can't do that. What are their actual last names? Did we ever figure that out? Mitchell Altieri and Phil Flores. They're we're not, not brothers. brothers. All right, then fuck these guys. They're not brothers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's that's. You can't call yourselves the Butcher Brothers. Yeah. That, that's like John Legend and the fact that his last name isn't actually Legend. I'm you like, can't do it. Don't do that, bro. Don't do that. I'm sorry. You can't just be like, we are the first family of horror. Essentially, this is their first film together and they did go on to make four more films together as a duo. I'm sure they'll make more, too, is the thing. Well, I don't know about that, because the last (laughs) one was 2014. 
They did it every two years from 2006 until 2014. They did a sequel to this called The Thompsons. Which I'm a little curious about visiting maybe next year just to see if they've improved. Yeah, they did it six years later. And it's funny, there's a teaser at the end where the family refers to themselves as The Thompsons because they've moved to a different town and are going by a different alias. So they actually did follow through on the teaser. And most of the cast returns which gives you a sense of where all of them were at at that point in their careers. <laughs> not busy. Yeah, not busy. Um, so, yeah, no, I just, you can't call yourselves the Butcher Brothers. I'm sorry, you can't fucking do it. So we kind of open up with, uh, well, okay, there's a little bit of, like, that fucking uh, teenage, like, this is my family, and this is, and I hate this trope. I've always hated it. It's awful. Don't do it, please. I think we all hate this trope. Well, you know, though, Nick... <laughs> As a kid that shopped at Hot Topic, as I recall you did. No, when I was younger, I would have loved this shit. That's what I mean. So, like, don't act like you weren't around in 2006. This would have worked on you. I don't think I would have liked the rest of the movie, though. No. It's pretty at odds with the movie they're trying to make. On top of being a bad trope, it kind of just doesn't work. We'll get to my feelings on how the movie, it doesn't save itself, but it, it clarified things for me with what the twist ultimately is. Yeah, it's trying to set your expectations, and it tries to subvert those ex- expectations twice, maybe three times. Mm-hmm. It starts out sort of as like, I'm a weird teen, and I got a weird family, and life is hard. Yeah. And then it quickly evolves into, we have women trapped in our basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it goes for a lot of like irony and uh, dark comedy, and the laughs don't always land, but I understand no. what they're going for. But yeah, it begins as this kind of emo sad boy yeah you know i just have my video camera and i'm trying to keep to myself and i have problems at school and i have problems at home and it's like very much in the vein of like donnie darko or one of these like genre films that you would have seen in the early to mid 2000s where like kids are just dressing in a lot of black and they're really sad about things they're not really angry they're not raging against the machine right it's not the 80s and the 90s it is a specifically (laughs) 2000s phenomenon of i'm listening to my chemical romance and swallowing pills you know, and that is the vibe of of this movie. And uh, as a person that was a child in this era and pointedly not engaging in said behavior, uh, I was immediately turned off. I'm like, oh, no, this is bringing me back to the fucking kids I wanted to punch. In, yeah. In 2007. <laughs> Understandable. This kid is not like, I don't know. Nobody's fucking rooting for this kid. That's that's also part of the problem is that this movie sort of doesn't have anybody you're rooting for in a way. No, no, no. There's nothing at all to latch on to because they're all villains. So that's an issue. Yeah. And they try to humanize him a little bit. A little bit. bit, yeah. You know, I was thinking about all of the great family horror movies where the villain is an entire family. You know, there's been a lot of them in actually recent years. There was that movie Ready or Not a couple of years ago that people really mm-hmm. dig. And, you know, they always kind of creep me out because like. Because it's like a cabal. They're all like working together. And yeah, I don't like family shit really weirds me out. Like it really mm-hmm. like incestuous families and stuff and like families that do bad things. Like I am used to living a life where my parents don't know anything about what I'm doing. And so anytime a parent is complicit in the bad things that their children are doing. Oh, yeah. I am terrified by that it's slightly different but it's kind of why these split personalities and in, in split always kind of freak me out a little bit you right know? and a similar situation in this movie too funny enough yeah any movie where like, even like you know there's a movie where like let me in or something which is another vampire movie we're let the right about, one in we talk about another vampire movie that this movie sort of reminded me of it's funny enough i think it's my favorite type of vampire 
honestly. It's the wandering vagabond serial killer <laughs> vampires like uh, George Romero's Martin and most notably a little film by Catherine Bigelow called Near Dark. Sure. And yeah. uh, most of those movies, these vampires have parents that are complicit mm-hmm. and that cover up their crimes. And uh, yeah, that, that has always been a thing. Again, just coming from a family where it's like, you cannot fucking misbehave. Yeah. And if you do, your parents better not find out about it. There is something about parents being engaged in it and not being the role models, but instead uh, being the enablers of yeah. this bad behavior that really weirds me out. And then you add like this weird, like incestuous element to it as this movie explicitly does. And, so, and most of the time it's just implicit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm very creeped out by like, I used to be creeped out when I would like go to parents' houses and then they would like swear. No, oh, yeah. I remember when I was a kid, that would like weird me out mm-hmm. because I didn't swear at my house. Like it was just not allowed at my house. And anytime you had that kind of leeway at a friend's house, it was like, oh, this is not, this is odd. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, you're not my friend. Like I'm supposed to hear this at the lunch table, yeah. not at my friend's dinner table. Yep. But anyway, all this to say, the big one is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? That's like the original family horror movie. Yep. And that movie succeeds because it is squarely in the victim's point of view. And you can try doing something else. You can try telling the story from within. But you, as you said, you guys do need a compelling lead that all of this is happening to. Mm-hmm. And I, I found, yeah, being stuck inside the family is not as compelling as just like being the victim of the family. And they kind of show the victims, but they don't give them enough humanity or agency to root for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This first twist, though, where you begin to learn that like they kidnap people, trap them in their basement, and beyond that, there's a strange something in a box somewhere that they are feeding these people to called Lenny. This is actually, I think the most horrifying part of the film by a long shot. And it kind of goes downhill from here in the scares aspect. Yeah. I feel like the movie opens it. it, The opening is the best part of the movie. The first two minutes is the best part. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, I don't know what's behind the door. I'm in the victim's point of view. I don't know where I am. And although it's kind of generic and like, very like saw in the early 2000s kind of like torture porn way. Yeah. yeah. I'm clearly rooted in a character's emotional state. Whereas the rest of the movie, I'm just kind of like bored or rolling my eyes at it. Nothing happens in the movie. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. I like when movies happen. That's the thing. Like when things happen in them. It's like you can kind of coast with it to a degree with like minimalism in like a short film. And I, I, I don't like saying that criticism. I, and maybe this could have been a short film, maybe not. But like, regardless, regardless as to what this should have been, you got to do more than just have a bunch of kids yelling at each other, sort of, with bad performances most of the time. It's just, nothing happens. Acting's not great. The acting's not great. It's pretty painful to watch. The scares are just kind of non-existent. It's more like, the best it could do is just sort of creep me out with like the fact that this guy's casually tying a girl down. That's about it. You know what, though? It didn't creep me out. I just found it to be very unpleasant and in a way that I don't take any sort of joy in. And in a way that a lot of movies, independent and mainstream in the early 2000s, would just like get a lot of cheap thrills out of like torturing women. Yeah. And like just stabbing them and like molesting them. And it's, I mean, there's no like revenge element. There's no like sense of justice or right and wrong. It's just like, it's juvenile. You know, it's just like, it's juvenile torture porn. This movie would have benefited from a little bit more conflict than, because they kind of try to, the youngest brother, 
and the oldest brother, who is playing the role of the parent figure in this family, they both view their job of feeding people to Lenny as a job, like a responsibility that they have to do for this Lenny character. The other two siblings, who are twins, are purely evil and do it for the sadistic pleasure. And so there's a little bit of conflict there, but ultimately the decision and the end of the conflict is oh, well, we're just going to do evil things. Like, Yeah, no, there's none of that. And it's like, I'm not a prude about these things. I understand, like, you can show bad things happening to women on screen, but, like, you better have a point of view on it. Mm -hmm. Like, you better have something to say about that, and you better, like, recontextualize it, even if she doesn't get revenge, even if she doesn't get out or whatever. Like, you better be able to write, like, an explanation as to why you included that in your movie. I've become more sensitive to that as I've, I've gotten older. Just like this is very juvenile yeah. and pointless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and far be it for me to say like what a filmmaker should and should not include in a movie. But I don't know. I find that stuff to be very fucking cheap. Very cheap. And all of those scenes, it just felt incredibly repetitive mm. and sadistic. I don't know. Maybe I would have gotten some thrills out of it at 17, but I certainly don't at 28. But what are we supposed to gain? For? I mean, they're all kind of like objects for the lead character's grief, Yes, I guess. But then he sort of throws that all out the window. And I'm kind of left wondering, like, what am I really supposed to learn here? Yeah. And what was I supposed to be compelled by for any of those scenes? And was I really supposed to care about what happened to this girl? I was hoping that the movie would skeeve me out a little more with its low budget stuff like we were talking about before. Like, take advantage of how nasty this kind of look can be like in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. or maybe in like Ty West's uh, The House of the Devil. Mm-hmm. No, like none of that. And then, then I was like, all right, is the script going to be good? I, ca- I kept thinking of like Thunder Road made with like no fucking money at all, but that script's fucking amazing. Okay, maybe mm-hmm. we'll be good there. No, again, just everything I normally like fall back on when certain elements of a movie are not like giving me the goods, you know. It's still not there. Just not there, yeah. Just <laughs> Yeah, not there. I mean, ultimately, like, the script is very trite. Yeah, yeah. And all of these things, like, it's a puberty metaphor, and it's a metaphor about, you know, it's about family. This it's about family. Movie, you know? Salute me, familia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we gotta stop doing movies about family. <laughs> yeah, we really need to stop. Gosh know. darn it, people need to stop making movies about families. <laughs> people need to stop making families. That's what they need to stop doing. There we go. Especially blended ones with, <laughs> with uh, car thieves. Yeah, no, it, it's yeah, it's it's all very basic. And yeah, spoiler alert: this is a vampire movie. Again, this is True Blood era. This is Twilight era. Been there, done that there, too. You know, hot vampires. These types of, yes, these types of vampires. I was, again, it was evoking those ideas. I'm trying to put my finger on it the entire time. Like, what is this? Why have I seen it? And then, I mean, I'll give the movie some credit. I didn't really piece together that they were vampires until about the time that he's drawing the blood. I'm like, maybe? I know that's not something vampires would normally do. Well, they do bite a woman and kind of suck her blood. Yeah, but they just come off as, like, sadistic weirdos more than anything. Not, like, like yeah, I agree. pure vampire. And it wasn't until I saw the fangs that I'm like, Oh, they are vampire. Oh, and then uh, yeah. So, so the movie, I guess, got me in that way. But I'm gonna be honest, the reveal wasn't like a wow scenario. No, it was. It was just like, and the movie okay. holds yeah. that that rabbit in the hat for the entire thing, and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. What's in the box? Number one. And what is the nature of their crimes? Why are they doing this? The dramatic stuff needed to really hit and kind of engage me and 
make me invested in what the mystery of this family actually is. Like, what's the deal with their parents? Why are they doing this? That scene I just saw was insane. Why did they even think to do that? But I never really got that. It was just kind of, yeah, just going through the motions. Now, listen, I think it would have been incredibly annoying for a movie of this budget and this stature to keep those answers ambiguous. I think you definitely need to answer what's in the box, and you definitely need to answer whether or not they're vampires, certainly. But is it possible that the movie would have been more interesting had they not have revealed that? And they were just sadistic and serial killers and enjoyed eating. I liked that part of the movie better. I liked when I didn't know they were vampires. I liked when I didn't... As a matter of fact, I wanted the only element of anything potentially supernatural to be Lenny... And we never know what Lenny is. It's some kind of demon or, yeah, some some god that they're worshipping. Especially with this budget, that would have been the way to go, I feel like, right? It would have been really annoying. Again, it would have been really annoying. It's annoying anyway. The reveal was stupid. But <laughs> I don't like the suddenly we're going to humanize all of these people. It's like, well, actually, they have to do what they're doing because they're vampires. Yeah. And that's their kind. Con- what does the kid say? He's like, we were born. We were not made. Yeah. Not like everybody thinks. It's like, first of all, who thinks anything? You kill all your victims. No one knows your vampires. Um, <laughs> but th- the idea that all of the incest and shit is now all of a sudden justified, yeah, the statistic exactly. killing that they're doing is just because they're vampires. It's like, no, let's let's sit in the evil. Again, back to what we were talking about before. If you're going to show this evil, like have something to say about it, let us stare it in the face. Well, that's the thing. They try to juxtapose the twins as mm. like a different layer of evil. Like they take it too far right right the film almost tries to justify like they have to do this because of their nature and so the, you, the film could almost make an argument some evil is acceptable if it is required as part of your nature yeah but some evil is a choice and some evil is like if the film is trying to make a distinction like that you can do that but at the end the film is just everybody's okay with all of the bad shit they're yeah, doing exactly. no it's like yeah no like i need a great morality tale from the butcher brothers i'm yeah, not you know, no. like, but <laughs> just some ideas you know i mean have something to say about family units other than families are weird well because a right? lot of, well a lot of that stuff feels more obligatory you know it was just the twist that they had and they just went from right, there it's like what right. if we did a it seems like they're serial killers but at the end oh my god they're vampires right i'm wondering what it would have looked like if it took the, the martin approach which you have to see by the way because martin's a f- martin is almost becoming my second favorite romero movie it's really fucking good but it tells you outright He's a vampire. Let's just explore his life as a very casual vampire that is not affected by garlic or crosses, can go out in the daylight, a lot like these guys. And just how does he live knowing what he is, which is what this movie's kind of doing, too. But it sort of undercuts itself by relying so hard on that twist, and the twist doesn't even work. Yeah, they're not reckoning with their own nature because we don't know their nature. And it's, yes. and it's it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's playing this game. It's, it's hiding the ball on you the entire time. So, yeah, now I have to recontextualize the whole thing in the last five minutes, but the movie is not rich enough to stand up to that, you know, this uh, recontextualization. And that's why I was saying it just would have been nice if there were just more meat, if more things happened, if there were more dramatic moments for me to, like you said, recontextualize those moments in interesting ways. But the movie doesn't give you really any of that. It's just a little too lean for me, a little too bare for what it is, you know. So, yeah, you mentioned this lead kid whose name is Francis, I thought has to have something to do with Coppola because this kid loves his camera. 
You think they just threw that in there, just being little fuckers? Yeah, I think the Butcher Brothers are like, <laughs> hey, they won't know who directed The Godfather. Hey, they won't know. <laughs> Does anybody know who's directed uh, Dracula? Oh, we're, yeah, there you go. It's there a Dracula you, reference. Go. All right, there good job, go. Butcher Boys. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so he loves his camera. He's like little Sammy Fableman. We were talking about the Fableman. <laughs> it's like little Sammy Fableman. <laughs> Literally before the show started, uh, uh, there's a scene where he's in the closet looking at his footage. It's the same as the Fableman. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, You know, it's all, all these lonely kids with their camera. They got to go in the closet. I would have sworn that they were using that kid's camera to shoot this movie half the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the budget didn't include props. It was just uh, no, yeah. this is all the, the where the DV recorders that we were using at Central. That that's what that's what they used on this movie. Oh yeah, you yeah. remember that DV tapes? I, I fucking I did that in middle school. I was part of the the communications club in middle school. Awesome. And this is like the early days of like digital camcorders. Yep, those were the days, man. That sh- shit looked fuzzy as hell <laughs> uh yeah no very digital this movie and it's got all the swish pans and this the whooshing and the sound effects we were just talking about this with house of the dead but it's very of its era yes very much like when someone's getting attacked by lenny for example and the camera the artificial camera shake whatever that effect is just again looks terrible now but at, at the time was very like acceptable what were we thinking i just i look at yeah seriously yeah i'm like what the hell that shit has aged so poorly yeah you watch stuff from the 80s or whatever and you like all of that like weird all those weird stylistic quirks you're nostalgic for and for some reason the stuff from the early 2000s i just think looks so shitty i agree like there's some stuff from those areas that hasn't aged like gracefully but it still feels more natural to experience than that, for example, that stupid camera shake that they're doing in this. Like, I don't know. That do, that really doesn't work with me. I'll take a snap zoom any day. I don't care. Right. Give me a snap zoom. For some reason, I feel like when we're in these moments of, like, sort of transitioning technologies, that's when you see a lot of shit go bad. Because people are experimenting yeah. and trying to learn new things. And there's a bit of a learning curve. And I feel like that's what most of the early to mid-2000s was for film. With everybody getting used to digital and new special effects. Yeah, we can do these transitions uh-huh. digitally. We don't have to like send it to the lab to process. We can just do it on Avid or whatever. Yeah. In a way, it's cool that that stuff exists because you can actually look at the evolution of cinema and how, how we were learning and stuff. And so that's another curve you got to grade this movie on, I guess, is when it came out. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's a similar innovation to like when... Movies got dialogue. Right. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, most of those early talkies are like heavy on exposition because we didn't realize yes, yeah. that you have to rein in the talking. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, we don't need to use cue cards anymore. Have the characters say everything. everything. <laughs> and it's like, no, right. And it's the same kind of thing with like, all right, we don't need a wipe here and here and here three times in the same scene. That's oh, verbalizing everything in the script. I love you, Margaret. Exit scene left. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, it it was definitely a a transitional period. But you know what? The masters, though, like Michael Mann, for example, at at that point was like, okay, how can we use this not in a sort of like hokey, uh, like in a convenience way? Like we're not, I'm not going to do it in the same way everybody else is doing it. How can I use this digital technology and its idiosyncrasies to not smooth out the filmmaking process, but to make it more challenging. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. What if we just bumped the aperture up so high that 
Miami at night doesn't even look like a place on this planet. <laughs> yeah. In Miami Vice. <laughs> and it, and I think like yeah, so often like the digital photography and the editing was used as a shortcut. Mm. And everything just looked a little cheaper than it did 10 years prior. Absolutely. Because of people like Michael Mann, we figured it out. Yeah. But there was there were some definitely some growing pains, as you said, Nick, in the early 2000s. Yeah. 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 Who else is in this family, Nick? Uh, so the oldest brother who works as a butcher. Right. For the butcher brothers. <laughs> he literally like dismembers animals and like removes their organs and stuff. His name is David. He's kind of now the patriarch since their parents died from, mm -hmm. of unknown causes. Yeah. Okay, I, I do want to say, like, I do want to try to compliment the movie, again, because it is an independent film made by two guys who have never made a film before, essentially. I don't hate the movie, by the way, for what it is. I mean, it's just... Right. We're looking at it from a different perspective. It's so hard sometimes to talk about these types of things without sounding like a total asshole. But this movie is at least... They're pretty good about working hard to subvert your expectations throughout the whole film. They're trying. And this David character is probably the funniest one to me because he, like, wears an apron and he's cooking the kids breakfast. <laughs> and meanwhile, he's literally like a bloodthirsty vampire <laughs> with, a, with women trapped in his basement. I found that a little humorous. Like, when he goes to visit him at the butchery or whatever, the uh, meat processing the plant. butchery. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great horror movie name. The butchery. <laughs> the butchery. <laughs> Directed um, by Ty When he West. goes to meet him there, <laughs> and his older brother's, like, standing there, like, in his work attire, and he's just, like, his suit has, like, his name on it, but it's just covered in blood. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I don't want to hear it again, young man. You're going to school. Like... That just fucking that dichotomy is pretty humorous. Yeah, clean your room. The problem is like this movie just takes way too much joy out of that one joke and it like enough enough we heard it i just about to say it, it's a movie that that's a, that's not a bad idea nick is the thing but it's a movie that takes us way too seriously for what it, it does is. It's, it, the movie takes itself completely seriously throughout yes, yes. Mm -hmm. and it thinks it's so funny yeah really it, it thinks it's funnier than it is scary you know what yeah. i mean like mm -hmm. which is even worse mm -hmm. it's like a, a yes a bad horror movie thinks it's scarier than it is but nothing is worse than a dark comedy that thinks it's funnier. You try making a comedy before you try making a dark comedy. Is all sure. Yeah, there you go. If you can nail the comedy, you're in much better territory. So, yeah, we have the other two siblings. Uh, Wendell and Darlene. Thank you. The twins, they are uh, the fuck everybody. We hate everyone and we love to be gross and violent and horrible. And they also sleep with each other. Yes. And they fuck each other. Yes. Which I got to be honest. I guess my, my media diet has kind of lacked incest since Game of Thrones ended. Oh. And I realized that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's back. I got to recalibrate my brain again for incest. I'm not into it. But, you know, I do feel like there's kind of, it's a, it's a bear market now for incest. And I feel like there's, there's some sort of genre movie or show it can snatch the reins back from Game of Thrones at any point. 
you missed incest? Like, no, what? I hadn't really missed it. I'm just like, <laughs> I, mean, like I don't miss vegetables, but everyone, you know, if I eat a carrot, I'm like, wait, I haven't had it. these in a Wait, while. you need to have, it's good to have vegetables. You're telling me it's good to have incest? <laughs> no, I, I, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for your eyesight, Adam. <laughs> Doctor's just, orders. Just like eating carrots. <laughs> I'm going to write you a prescription for some Vicodin, and you got to go home and fuck your sister. Damn All it. Right. That'll be $300. I don't think your insurance is going to cover the copay on this one. All so. this fucking <laughs> holistic medicine bullshit. Uh, yeah, no, I, I miss Jamie and Cersei. That's my point. I was rooting for those two kids. Oh, you were rooting for them. You remember this, right? I was a big uh, Jamie and Cersei. Cersei fan. Yeah. Yeah. I was a big shipper. You really think that's how the story was going to end with them happy? Well, they were <laughs> together at least. It wasn't really happy, but. No, I was I was a big Jamie fan, obviously, and you know the heart wants what the heart wants. I guess so. Fair. Yeah, so uh, they, they have sex with each other, and uh, they're they're making out. And again, this movie is just very juvenile in its provocations there. And mm-hmm. at one point, they play Truth or Dare, and I'm just like, "Fucking kill me!" There's a Truth yeah. or Dare scene with a best hot best friend. No, please, my eyes, my eyes. Yeah. Uh, so they kiss each other during that. And they, eventually they kill the friend and eat the friend. And it's tough. Yeah, this friend, though, I, I mean, like, so she comes over their house the first time, plays truth or dare, sees the, can, dares them to kiss each other. And they just, like, start making out. And it's really gross and weird. And the whole time it's uncomfortable. And she comes back the next day. What? I'm never going back to that house again. No. I'm never hanging out with you again. This character made no sense to me. And then she's sleeping in her friend's bed, like confused, like what that was about. I was like, I don't know. Is this is this a lesbian relationship? But they were just well, who? What? Another strike against the Butcher Brothers. Doesn't really matter because they go full neon demon, throw her in a bathtub, and eat her. So these siblings, in order to survive, they go around and they pick up vagabonds, and I think uh, David picks up gay men specifically who are kind of, you know, closeted or whatever. And, you know, people that if they went missing, no one would miss them. That's kind of the aim there. I think not a lot of questions to be asked. Yeah, Yeah, there's there's this these two girls that just ran away from home and no one knows where they are. I think there's a specific line of dialogue. And so they're hitchhiking and eventually they're brought back and they are fed to this thing, Lenny, in the box. (laughs) And we don't know what Lenny is. And then, you know, you get Francis kind of feeling bad for these girls. One of them dies and he thinks about, do I let him out? Do I let him out? Yeah. And a chance to like humanize him and like he goes to like try to help her. He's like, I can get you a drink. And he gives her a Coca-Cola, which is (laughs) I'm just imagining being tied up in a basement, being hung up, starving for days. And then somebody gives me a fucking can of Coke. And I'm just like, "Ah." right. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Yeah, so you know all this is happening, and and he's having problems at school, and he's having, and his his you know his siblings are getting action, and he don't feel very good about that. <laughs> Can we all relate to that? You know, you're looking out in the distance, all your siblings are getting action, and here I am, just like the weirdo that hasn't hit puberty yet. Wait a minute, young weirdo hasn't hit puberty, walking around with a video camera, all his siblings are getting action. Nico, Nico, I know why you don't like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you know um yeah oh, oh there's also a social worker right but who's no no but who's the, the guy that comes to the door with like his kid and they're looking for someone 
He's like a cop. That's the girl's father. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. The girl that went missing. The cop next to them is not actually a cop. He's like a private security. Yeah, but he's like a kid. He's like 12. Did you know you're uh, Redwoods in violation of neighborhood safety growth code? No. Uh-huh. That's a good job, son. Hi, I'm Larry Davies. I'm uh, Catherine. Kitty's uncle. Kitty's a friend of Darlene's? Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, this is my son, Alan. Lieutenant Commander Daniels. <clears throat> Private section. David Hamilton. He's her brother. Not very convincing. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's also like the butcher brothers brother. Probably he has know? his own business doing security consulting or something like that. Yeah. This actually leads real quick. I, I do have to ask, cause this was bothering me. Did you guys buy this cast as a family, as siblings at any point? No. Cause I, yeah. Okay. No, thank you. Not. I really didn't. And it was driving me nuts the whole time. Yes. Incredibly distracting. Incredibly distracting. I also found, you know, they, they show a lot of this, home video camcorder footage with the parents of like just standing on the front porch or whatever, being happy as a family. And there's this VO again, this emo VO of like, what does it mean to be happy? Yeah. yeah it just doesn't really look like a family. I mean, they're all kind of the same age and I guess they kind of look similar in the sense that they're generic white actors. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, I never buy them as such. Okay. Never. And it's not the hardest thing in the world to at least physically cast someone correctly. Well, Here's the thing. It's clear they got the best actors they could get their hands on. And I say that because when you look at the supporting actors who pop into the film for little bit parts, you go, oh. Yeah. <laughs> you, you realize how good of actors this family actually is relative to everyone else. The twins being of similar age, fine. But, like, at least make David notably older. Yes. Please. Right. But Give no. him a mustache or something. Yeah. So the, the, But there's this social worker that kind of pops in and out for dinner they kind of get some cheap laughs off of that. Like, yeah, we're having the social, like, like Hannibal Lecter, we're having the social worker for dinner. And it's a double entendre of like, we might eat the social worker. <laughs> that was great, you guys. Thanks a lot. I know I'm not much of a cook, but I do try. <laughs> not to worry. You probably never tasted my wife's cooking, yeah. Oh, it's probably uh, cats. Fucking. Yeah, that's cats fucking all right. Getting after it. What do you think, David? <laughs> Who'd have thought? <laughs> and he eventually finds out and becomes a victim and is fed to Lenny in this box. Uh, things are falling apart. People are dying. Yada yada yada. Is there really any plot here? No, no, nothing happens. Um, and then the twist is they're vampires. Francis hits puberty finally. He wants to let this girl free, live a happy life with her. The victim in the basement that is not allowed, obviously, because he's a vampire. But he thinks he has a shot. I guess after he runs away with her. Something, these balls drop, something happens. Like a vampire <laughs> That's what it is, yeah. I mean, I'm no health expert or anything. Wasn't she, doesn't she start bleeding? Yeah. And he like loses control. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I can't approach you, you're bleeding. Sure, right. It All would, these things are happening to my body, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, he starts eating her. And yeah. um, then the brother shows up and is like, ah, first time, huh, son? <laughs> and he's got the fangs. 
he's a vampire. It's okay. It happens to everyone. It's part of growing up. Uh, yeah. Great film. Great movie. <laughs> Again, you're, you're talking about all this. And it's like in another movie, it could sound like weird and disturbing. Might not necessarily be a fun watch, but it could like, you know, get a rise out of you. But guys, it is like really dull. Like when it, it happens, it's just it like is, surprisingly yeah. dull for what it is. To recontextualize this a little bit, though, now that we've been to a film festival, mm. obviously TIFF is a large international film festival. But if you saw this at a midnight premiere at a smaller film festival, would you be upset? Yeah, I just feel like if the movie's heart was in the right place, I would admire it more. You know, I think that's just a larger problem. It's like I can live with technical deficiencies. I've seen uh, hundreds of them for this podcast. Mm -hmm. I I just want your heart to be in the right place. I want some kind of charm. I want you to have something to say. You feel cynical towards the Butcher Brothers. Yeah, I do. And I just feel like you haven't, like, I'm sure you put a lot of effort into getting this thing financed and made. And I'm sure there was a lot of work. I, it doesn't feel like you put a lot of thought into the movie itself, though. And that's what kind of bothers me. It's like when you're making a first movie, Quentin Tarantino talked about this when he was making Reservoir Dogs. He said, you know, I kind of had this imposter syndrome coming into it because I'm working with Harvey Keitel and Steve Buscemi and Tim Roth or whatever. And I've done nothing. I was a video store clerk that sold a couple scripts. But like I gained confidence by really understanding the material it's like I made sure that when I came in every line, I had an answer for the actors, what they should be feeling in that moment and why it's there. Prepared for every possible question that yes. can come your way. Even if I don't know how to shoot the thing, even if I don't have a good sense of tone, even if I don't know like where the squib is supposed to be and how loud or quietly an actor is supposed to play a moment, at least I know what my intention is. Yeah. You know, and it's like, that's the one thing you have control over as a first time filmmaker is you have control over your material. And your understanding of it. And I don't know if they ever did that much work. And that that's always the independent movies that bother me. Are the ones where it's like, man, you're really going for something, but you fall short. I can live with that. I can't live with, uh, I like these kinds of movies. Here's my rough idea of how they're supposed to look. Yeah. <laughs> that I don't gel with. That I don't vibe with. Sure. So, You know, doing a quick scan at the rest of their filmography just based on purely Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb ratings, this is their best film. Well, Mackenzie <laughs> Fergins, who plays Darlene, somehow got a role in Rent, the movie adaptation of Rent, the next year. Oh, was she? Yes. I don't know how big her role is in that, but that's the number one IMDb credit. She I think. was April. Um, but again, she came back for the sequel. So, Looking at, oh, she, okay, so on the list of minor characters, she is fifth. So she is the fifth fifth most minor <laughs> listen that's not horrible it could be worse she got too. a wikipedia page i mean that's a huge win yeah that's all i want in life really just a fifth minor role just a wikipedia page you know i was thinking about you the other day nico because uh have you seen on instagram that game show comedy show called game changers i haven't no uh okay so it's it's like a improv comedy you know like they give it it's kind of like who's on they give a topic and the people are at the buzzer and they have to like either act it out or whatever okay it's a funny little thing i watch it and the host is this guy named sam reich and i've been seeing him all over instagram uh and then the other day i just learned who his father is uh one robert reich the uh secretary of the u.s treasury in the clinton administration (laughs) (laughs) so what i was going to say to you is that if you want to run a game show one day, all you need is for your father to work in the federal government at the highest levels. Not a cabinet maker? 
I I don't think I don't think that qualifies now, unfortunately. Yeah, you always hear these stories about like, oh, <laughs> so, you know, this guy like uh uh friggin um who's the comic whose father is like the head of BlackRock or something. Is like a big like financier guy. Uh, you're talking about like Nick Kroll or something yeah, it's like Nick that? Kroll. Like, Nick Kroll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. like, oh, this you know, comic is a real like, you know, comics comic or whatever. This Nick, it's all of a sudden like the guy's like, father's a billionaire, total Nepo baby, but like secretly, mm-hmm. you know? Well, like Amy Schumer is like her uncle is right. Senator Schumer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've always felt that way about like it always really irks me when the comedians have like not humble beginnings. I feel like if anyone yes. needs to have a humble beginning, it's a comic. Yeah, you need to grow up in a whorehouse like yeah. Richard Pryor. Yeah, yeah. like that's yeah. Uh, you have to be heavily intoxicated all the time. Like you have to st- yeah, you have to start your career in the grimiest parts of the cities and basements, working at two a.m. on average for ten minutes at a time. And I was never a big fan of Nick Kroll to begin with, but I. I find it impossible to laugh at anything he does now from right. knowing this information. Yes. It's so yeah, funny. Yeah, it's yeah. such a weird phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. And the butcher brothers probably the same. The butcher brothers probably like fucking, uh, the, the, the Coke brothers. The kids Coke or something, brothers. You know? <laughs> like, they probably funded the war in Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> they have their own independent little, little biographies. I'm going to read that quickly. They were born on the same day and at the hospital, their mother looked in their eyes and they said, these children will love gore. <laughs> I will name them the butcher brothers. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they're anybody. Okay. Well, that's a relief. Uh, as we said, yet yeah, there is a sequel to this movie called the Thompsons set six years later in England, jolly old England. Oh, so they're going for like a Jack the Ripper thing. I'm like, yes. I yes, 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 yes. Teased at the end of this movie. Oh, uh, Lenny, by the way, we come to find out is their sibling. Yeah. Their little baby brother, essentially. I guess when you're a vampire, you have to just like stay in a cage for the first couple of years of your life or else you just eat everything. Yeah. You have to learn self-control. And, but they let him out of the box early. That's one of the quotes in the movie. You got let out of the box early. David oh. says to Francis at one point. Uh, so uh, yeah, Lenny is a little kid that's in a kind of amusing little bedroom that's painted pink or whatever. And he's got like a rocket ships on his wall. I'm just like, Oh no. As soon as I saw it, I'm like, Oh God, they're doing that. So Lenny's a baby and they have to essentially like breastfeed him. That's, that's like they're, or they have to nurse him. They have to give him like formula. That's why yeah, they're drawing sure. the blood and being very careful to feed him at the right moment. Mm-hmm. But then Lenny comes out and he's just like a kid that like walks funny, <laughs> but he's all right. Regular old kid. That's it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's it. And yeah, that's, that's the end of the movie. It was also turned into a play in Pittsburgh. Some local Pittsburgh theater company put this movie on as a theatrical production. So for like, Two months in 2008, you could have seen this thing as a play in Pittsburgh. As a dr- dramatic piece or a musical? I hope to I God. I don't think it was a musical. That'd be fucking hilarious if it was a musical. <laughs> Going to see we've Hamilton? Got fangs. Yes, we've got fangs. <laughs> no, just imagine the people getting very excited to go see Hamilton. Right. And then it's the, not Hamilton. Oh, no, no. This is the Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Hamilton was written in 2008. No, yet, I know, I know. I'm just. I don't think they were competing yet, yeah. for theater space either. Yeah, I don't true. think they were really going for the same. If you're smart, if you're a local theater production, you would do the Hamiltons now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Ooh, there we go. Now yeah. you got to bring it back. Mm, right, right, right. Yeah. And just kind of, you know. Sure. Um, that's all I got. Yeah, me too. Vampire movie, spectacular. <laughs> 
All right, we will be back next week for the final show of the Spooktacular, and then it's on to November, and we just keep plugging away at this project we call Why Is This a Thing? Yep. Nine years next year, Kai. Ah! Nine years. Ah! So old. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. All right. We love you. He hates that so much. I know. He hates that I so much. Can't wait to say a decade. A decade doing this podcast. But the silver anniversary, what's 10 years? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Porcelain? Porcelain. Mm. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. We got to do something good, though. All right. See you next week. <laughs> Peace.